Wednesday, April 25th. This is Market Foolery. I'm Chris Hill, and joining me in studio today from Motley Fool Stock Advisor Jason Moser, from Motley Fool Pro Brian Hinman, and from Motley Fool Inside Value Joe Mager. Gentlemen, earnings palooza continues. It's Ooh, day three. Crazy. Uh, we've got Baidu and Panera, but we are going to stock. Uh, we're going to start shocker with Apple. Shares of Apple up more than eight percent this morning on blowout earnings. Uh, Brian Hinman, I'll start with you. A few of the numbers. They sold 35 million iPhones, nearly 12 million iPads, 4 million Macs. Um, the numbers are absurd. The numbers are crazy. Yeah, I mean, there's a couple more to throw in that, Throw in there. $39 billion in revenue, almost $12 billion in profits. Uh, and aside from the strong iPhone and iPad sales, uh, the Chinese like their iProducts. Uh, sales in greater China were $8 billion during the quarter. Uh, that is compared to $13 billion all of last year. So... Wow. Signing up the new carriers is really having a big a big impact there. Um, Jason, I mean, any I, I, I chipped in my part. I was going to say, got an iPad. Are there any surprises here? Is there and, and no, <laughs> none. I mean, that's the problem. I mean, we know what's going to happen. I think here at this point, I mean, Apple just goes in and kills it again. Uh, I mean, you know, people love their iPhones and their iPads, and it's just amazing to see. Uh, how how these things are taking hold? It's, it's mind bending to think how many iPhones they sell. I don't even have an iPhone yet, and and I just you know at some point I'm going to get one. So I'm I'm one of those people out there that hasn't gotten one yet. But you wonder how many people out there don't have one. It's yet, one of the so. risks, right? Is where where are the next customers coming? How many yeah. of these things can they sell and to who? Because when it comes down to it, they are consumer products, right? They're, these aren't necessarily annuity sales. There is an upgrade cycle, but. For many people, these are you know big purchase decisions, uh, and so a few of the the, the interesting notes uh, from the quarter was uh, half of all Macs were sold to people who have never owned a Mac before, uh, so that's great. Uh, like I said, the Chinese are really adopting the iPhone, and then you've got uh, all of the progress they're making in enterprise in the business market. Uh, they announced a while ago that all Fortune 500 companies are piloting iPhones and iPads within the internal networks. They announced this quarter that many of the companies that have approved the iPhone for in-network usage uh, have joined this developer enterprise network, uh, which basically means they're making in-house apps. So the iPhone is rolling out in large companies. Uh, And then if there were security concerns, uh, they also announced that the U.S. Air Force is deploying some iPads. So uh, they are making inroads in enterprise and business. So the question you have to ask yourself at this point is, when does it become so widely adopted that all of a sudden it becomes a security risk? So I know that right now the operating systems, you know, the, the one thing that is argument for it is that it's, you know, that's it's less prone to get uh, attacks by viruses as viruses aren't really geared for, for those types of operating systems, for Apple's operating systems. But at some point, isn't someone going to crack that code and really put the screws to a lot of people? I don't think that would be the difference maker on whether or not people buy the thing. I mean, we all have Windows PCs, and they're all buggy as crap, but (laughs) still own them anyway. I mean, what seems interesting to me about the result, I mean, they were phenomenal, phenomenal results. Truly an amazing thing that's happening in Apple. Um, 64% of sales coming from overseas, or at least international. And I guess when I look at that, I see two different things. On the the one hand, that's remarkable because Apple's an American brand. We're U.S. investors, so we tend to have a bias towards assuming it's just us buying all these overpriced gadgets. Um, but it turns out everybody else really likes these overpriced gadgets, too. But what I think is interesting is that these gadgets are also cheaper for us against how much money we make and because they're subsidized. And when you look at the international customer, 
a lot of these purchases, iPhones, aren't subsidized by phone carriers. And so what you're going to see is people are paying more for these phones up front, and it makes you wonder, are they going to be just as eager to replace them as we are in the U.S., where because we have subsidies and a carrier model where we refresh phones quickly, you know, we kind of go back like lab rats. But, you know, in China, where this phone is running $600, which is an immense amount of money there, are they really going to be coming back and upgrading every, you know, two phone iterations? I'm pretty skeptical. It's a really, no, that's a really great point, Joe. And uh, I think that's incredibly uh, insightful, but it plays against... Thank you. It plays <laughs> we against... We can just stop there. He's not angry. <laughs> it plays against, you know, insightful, A Joe. week or so ago, uh, there was an analyst that came out and downgraded Apple because he was scared that uh, the tel- telcos were going to stop the subsidy, right? Uh, I just don't think that jives at all with how the telcos uh, run their businesses. Uh, it also doesn't jive with how the American consumer has said they want to purchase phones. The telcos care about uh, the contract. They care about the monthly data fees. Uh, and we know from AT&T that uh, smartphone users, uh, pay. They're, they're a lot more valuable and they have a lot lower churn. So I don't see that changing in the U.S., but you're absolutely right to say – as Apple focuses more and more on these international sales, they're not the same as domestic sales. Yeah, I mean, I'll, I'll chip in just my two cents there. From living in Cairo and Kazakhstan, those are two countries where it was a great example of zero contracts. They were pay-as-you-go SIM card phones uh, where you were buying minutes, and that's what really sold me on buying the little Nokia clamshell that I have now, Chris. But, yeah, I mean, I think that is a problem for international still consumers. Make that. No, they don't. I bought mine like uh, four years ago. It's a paperweight that he uses now. Uh, but I, I do think that is a genuine concern because there is a point. I mean, that's that, when you see some of the bills that come in for these smartphones, I mean, not the phone itself, but the data feed, the data contract every month, it's it's not cheap. And so they they can only do that so much before people are not going to be able to afford it. Okay, so where where are we going with Apple? What is next for this company? Because um, I think a moon base. It's, it's you know what they, they got the money. Uh, in all seriousness, though, where, like yes, let's let's just assume that for the next couple of quarters, um, it, the movie's going to look a whole lot like this movie. Um, you know, huge iPhone sales and that sort of thing. But Brian, uh, I'll go to you first. What what is next for this company? Because they there has to be something coming down the pipeline, doesn't there? Well, for the long term, absolutely. Uh, and it's an easy answer to say, we don't know, right? Apple has made its bread and butter giving customers what they don't know they want, right? So that's where the rubber is going to meet the road here for Tim Cook. He's executing extremely well. I mean, margins have expanded dramatically, uh, but who knows what's next? I mean, everyone is, is saying that it's going to be entrance into the TV market, right? And that's a logical place to turn, uh, if that's already been in the works for several years, uh, you know, I have confidence that he'll be able to roll that out well. But as for what's after that, we don't know. Joe, what do you think? Well, I personally think Apple TV will turn out to be a pretty big bust. I know a lot of people have a lot of enthusiasm there. But you know, remember, television, color television has been around for a long time. You know, they disrupted the iP- – there were MP3 players before the iPod, but they weren't around for a long time. There were smartphones before the iPhone, but again, pretty young. Color television has been you know, refined over the span of 50, 60 years at this point. Prices are falling in a brutal way. It's incredibly difficult, and it's just tough to picture Apple coming in with a high-end, super expensive product with you know replacement cycles that run for years on end. 
that they're so going to come in and make a lot of money in that space. So I was just going to say, so when you think that Apple TV is going to be a bust, you're thinking it's going to be a bust for Apple from a financial standpoint. That right. Either- relative, relative to the other stuff they've got in the pipeline. And okay. I think initially there'd be a huge burst of sales, but definitely no iPad and certainly not an iPhone. Yeah, that's that's going to be a high dollar item, regardless. And let's also not forget. I mean, the you know, like Joe was saying, I mean, TV costs are plummeting because they're trying to get these things out in consumers' hands because TVs have been redefined. I mean, now with iPod touches and iPads, I mean, you know, we have one TV in our house because we have iPads and iPods and Amazon Kindles, and we can watch our content any which way you want. So I don't think people are clamoring to go out and get that big high dollar TV as much as they maybe were. And we saw the result with the three. TV uh, rollout last year, which was just a total bust. And I, so I, I think that, yeah, looking at, at Apple's TV product, it would be a nice little sort of addition to the portfolio, but I don't think it would be a needle mover in any way. Yeah, I agree that the nature of the sale is differently, is different, right? But the important thing is that it adds to the stickiness of the ecosystem, right? It's another platform uh, on which to consume, you know, Apple's more. Uh, you know, their recurring recurring sales to interact with the apps and uh, the iTunes store. And, and, and the iTunes store. And so I think just viewing it as another node in that regard, uh, it doesn't have to be the same nature of the sale. I mean, Wall Street's smart enough to figure that out and not assume that, you know, it, it has to fit the, the exact sales model. But, so I think it it can still be significant. Uh, just to close out on Apple, we talked earlier in the week, uh, our colleague Charlie Travers made the point talking about uh, AT&T and Verizon and saying, you know, they, they were sort of beneficiaries of the iPhone revolution um, and they just reported, you know, some some great earnings, both of those companies. Um, shares of Apple trading around 610, I believe, right now as we walked into the studio. Um for investors who are looking for that sort of ripple effect, uh, if they're not, you know, if maybe they're scared off by Apple's share price or they think, you know what, even if it does continue to crush it, the expectations are huge for this company, where can investors go? Is it a company like like a Nuance Communications, which is partnering with um, uh, Apple on Siri? Is it a company like Corning with uh, the Gorilla Glass, which you know Steve Jobs said was a really key factor in the iPhone? Yeah, Jason, what do you think? We've talked about Nuance before, and that's one that I really like because of the voice technology, the voice recognition technology, and their focus really on looking at this next step in bringing that technology into the consumer's living room via you know whether it be an iPad or an iPod or whatever. Um, Nuance is really, I think, the best play in that regard, and that's something that's going to continue to grow. It flies under the radar, I think, for a lot of people. But it's, it's a really neat company to follow. I think it's a way to benefit. Joe, what do you think? I like Qualcomm. I love its IP library. So it collects some pretty fat uh, licensing and royalty fees on every smartphone sold that's on uh, 3G and 4G. I like that it produces parts that are part of just about every phone, or at least a growing number of them at least. I don't like the price. I'd much rather pay something in the mid-50s than where it's at today, low yeah. 60s. Brian? So I'll give you a two real quick. The first one is don't make it so hard. Apple's trading at 12 <laughs> times forward earnings, and those earnings estimates are probably going to come up. Don't be scared so off look, by the 610. Look, look at Apple first. Uh, the second thing is uh, a, product, uh, a company that makes a product that's not yet in uh, any Apple products, but I think one day it might might be. The company's called GraphTech International, and they make this substance called graphene, which eventually will be used to make uh, bendable uh, screens. Uh, it's pretty revolutionary product, pretty cool product. So uh, imagine one day you'll be able to sort of wiggle your iPad 
you know, like the rubber pencil thing you do when you wiggle it, wiggle it, wiggle it. Okay. Uh, Is there something beyond that? Because, I mean, that's a neat <laughs> trick and all, but... Uh, I think it's a pretty revolutionary technology. The company's really cheap, and uh, it has applications in uh, all sorts of products that Apple might one day make. You I know, guess less risk of breaking. I was just going to say, the bendable screen, like that, right? and Jason, I know you'll uh, associate with this uh, feeling that I have, which is, you know, a bendable screen would make me much more likely to hand my iPad to my six-year-old exactly. son. Exactly. So, Shoot, man, I'd throw um, it to him. <laughs> just to close, uh, Brian, ticker symbol for that company? GTI. Okay. Baidu's first quarter earnings up 76%, uh, but apparently that was not enough for Wall Street because shares were down more than 2% this morning. Joe Mager, you're uh, someone who watches Baidu. What do you, what do you think of their quarter? Yeah, well, I thought it was an amazing quarter. Customer base was up about 17%, and revenue per customer was up 49%. You don't typically see those, those kind of numbers in the stock drop, but Baidu does have high expectations in the stock. But that said, I still think it's really interesting. Uh, there are virtually any risk I could possibly come up with overhangs Baidu stock. Uh, I mean, seriously, we could spend an hour on the subject, but I do think it's really interesting. And it's an interesting case where you've got a first mover in a market where I think it'll hang on to its lead. It's a surging market. And while it's priced, what, 40, 50 times earnings, that's expensive. It's also growing its top line at 75%. Not a lot has to go right in that regard. And I think this is one of those kind of rare cases where rule breakers is kind of staring you in the face as a really interesting opportunity, even for value guys. Yeah, I think that really Baidu is, uh, when you're looking at China in general, I think you have to look for really the big leaders. And so you look at like your Baidus or, a, I mean, even a Sina to a degree uh, as the ones that are really going to give you the best. There is no such thing as risk-free exposure, but probably the lowest risk. And really, the neat thing about Baidu is that they're doing such a good job of bringing their consumers, bringing their users into that universe and really kind of keeping them there. Uh, so the stickiness factor is is growing, I think, with Baidu. And uh, so they're doing a good job of creating sort of that Baidu world. I think it's a neat way to look at China. Uh, we got an email from uh, one of our listeners, Philip Jacob. He sent a story from the New York Times website about the risks associated with investing in Chinese companies, uh, sort of the high, uh, story uh, talked about the heightened chances of fraud, um, risks with management. Uh, and yeah, he, yeah. Uh, and Philip asked, does that mean we should be very cautious in investing in companies like Baidu? Joe? It's a very good question, and it's part of the reason the Chinese stock market has been absolutely drubbed. It's also why I'd avoid a lot of small caps if you're looking at Chinese names, and I would stick to names that have big brands, big profitable models, uh, where you're less likely to be completely conned out of your money because there is a real business there that's tangible. You know, another way to think about investing in China, it's one of my kind of longtime shticks, is looking at companies that have great American companies or international ones that have a really big, strong, growing presence in China. You know, Yum Brands with KFC is kind of the poster boy of that model, and mm-hmm. Apple. You know, sale, Chinese sales were up, what, 400% this quarter? Yeah, not bad. Another good way to play it if you're looking for, you know, some kind of sanitized American perspective on a Chinese market. Uh, you can always drop us an email, radio at full.com. That's nice. That, you know, we get the emails about bacon and tang and that kind of thing. But we, we also, like bacon. We also get emails, you, you know, have, like, quite, folders for que- thing, right? questions about investing. Um, just to close out on Baidu, uh, Joe, over the last year, shares of Baidu uh, losing to the market, what do you think about the valuation of the stock? I think the valuation works for the amount of growth that it has ahead of it. Fair enough. Shares of Panera up more than 7% this morning. Jason Moser, first quarter profits up 26%. That looks pretty good. Yeah, yeah. I, I really liked everything I saw in this uh, 
in this release. You know, I like, follow Panera for Stock Advisor. I own it in my own portfolio and my Rising Stars portfolio, and I frequent there as a consumer. So a lot of good things to take away from this. They continue to do well with their same-store sales. They had targeted about 7.5% in the middle of, of last quarter, and they came in on the higher end of that number. Uh, average weekly sales are up 3.5%. Transaction growth, along with average check size, uh, growing, so they are not only making more sales, but they're selling more uh, in those sales, and they continue to to be able to pass along those those cost increases to to consumers, just little incremental cost increases to, to help mitigate the food inflation uh, issues. So they were able to bump operating margin up about a point as well. Uh, so I mean, it's a, still a small company. They have just over fifteen hundred restaurants, which doesn't necessarily sta- sound small, I know. But but in the context of their North American presence, they could still reasonably double that, um, and that you know doesn't really bring into play international aspirations. So a lot of good things coming from the college. Well, you know, Rich Griefner told me yesterday, Radio Shack has seven thousand locations. <sighs> yeah. What? So if we can have seven thousand Radio Shacks, <laughs> we can have seven thousand. And then I mean, if you think about it, so you look at something like Starbucks, which is kind of an easy comparable. Uh, you know, Starbucks has 17,000 stores uh, globally, I think it is. But, um, you know, the neat thing about Panera is they're really starting to focus. We talked about this before the taping is they're starting to advertise more and focus more on really bringing the consumers into that sort of Panera world. So they have that My Panera loyalty program. And uh, last quarter, that was at uh, nine, nine and a half million members. And so this quarter, it's at ten and a half million. So they're seeing growth there. What is the primary competition for a company like Panera? Because, uh, uh, you know, you mentioned Starbucks. I don't – That's Tess just CDs the thing. And that's, that that's can really listen the thing. To there, is, home. there isn't really a genuine next competitor. I mean, they're part of that greater fast casual dining segment. Right. So, no, Starbucks isn't really a competitor because, yeah, Starbucks is great coffee, but Panera's baked goods are superior. But uh, like Chipotle, no, that's not really a competitor because it's a different meal altogether. But when yeah. you look at fast casual in general, I think they kind of stand out, and that's why they're the doing category, so well. Should be called the third place, right? It's, <laughs> it's places that you can go and sit down in and not be kicked out of. And there really aren't that many places that <laughs> that encourage you to come and be comfortable and relax a little bit. That falls right in line with Howard Schultz's vision when he was building Starbucks really up. As he was saying, we wanted to build that third place where people could feel like either home or at work. Starbucks served as that third place. And so I think you see Panera kind of going after that feel as well, which it's definitely made it successful. I mean, it's a nice place to go relax, free Wi-Fi. It's a nice setup. Just to close out on the stock, shares are trading just a few bucks below the all-time high. What do you think of the valuation of the stock? Truthfully, I think it's still a buy today. But if you look at it comparably speaking, it trades right in line with Starbucks at about 35 times earnings. But if you look at Chipotle, Chipotle is more like 62, 63 times earnings. Um, Now, Panera is still a significantly smaller company than both of them. And I think plenty of room to grow there. Stock looks like a good deal today. I'd say buy. And since you guys raised this whole notion of the third place, what what's your third place? Is it Panera? Is it Starbucks? It, it's a tie between Panera and Starbucks. I probably split it during the week. <laughs> Brian? Yeah, it's, it's Starbucks all the way. I was going to say, because you don't eat bread. You're one of those people. Uh, <laughs> carbs have addictive qualities. I prefer to get my addiction via caffeine. Okay. Fair. Okay. Hey, All right. At least, at least there's an addiction. I mean, that's Joe? Yeah, choices. You know, you have something. I have no third place. You have no third place. <laughs> no. Drop us an email, radio at full We need a third place for Joe, and we're taking all suggestions. <laughs> Joe Mager, Brian Hinman, Jason Moser, guys, thanks for being here. Thank, Thank you. you. Thanks, As always, people on the program may have interest in the stocks they talk about, and the Motley Fool may have formal recommendations for or against. So don't buy or sell stocks based solely on what you hear. That's it for this edition of Market Foolery. Our producer is Matt Greer. I'm Chris Hill. Thanks for listening. We will see you next time.